0: Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our Extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production, and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province, and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca.
1: Elizabeth Nurnberg is a livestock specialist with Manitoba Agriculture based out of Roblin. For over 20 years, she has worked with livestock producers in planning their winter feed programs. Elizabeth is dedicated to assisting clients lower their winter feed costs and working with them to balance their own rations. Elizabeth holds a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with honors from the University of Manitoba, majoring in animal science. Growing up on the farm and being a 4-H Beef member for nine years, it is no surprise she still enjoys helping out on their fourth generation cow-calf operation today with the fifth generation right beside her. Stay tuned for my chat with Elizabeth. I do have to throw in a quick apology at the beginning of this episode. You will notice that there are cricket sounds throughout about the first half of the episode. Unfortunately, we had a few crickets that were in the house and I was unable to edit that out of the background noise. So My apologies, and please stick with it. It does get better. Welcome to the podcast today, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm fine.
2: Thanks, Chantel, and thank you for the invitation to join your podcast today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited to have you on. Before we start into the questions about the winter feeding, I am a little curious to know more about the fourth generation farm that you are on. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the operation, your cattle herd, and your roles on the farm?
2: Perfect. Thanks, Chantelle. Yes. So my husband and I, we are on, I guess he would be the fourth generation for that farm. We're running about a a 200 cow-calf Angus operation. And we also bring in some extra calves to background. And in 2020, our farm would have been the Centennial Farm. So that's quite exciting for us. And we have three uh, young boys that are interested in being a part of the farm. And hence, that would be the fifth generation. So that's pretty exciting to us.
1: It's nice when there's that legacy of of all of the families on the farm. Did Mm -hmm. you grow up on a farm as well?
2: Yes, Chantal. My family also had a mixed operation. And so I really enjoyed being outside and being involved with the data activities. And hence, that is why I chose a, a career in agriculture.
1: And that segues us beautifully into my next question, which is, can you tell me a little bit about your role with Manitoba agriculture?
2: Yes, I sure can. So I'm a, one of the livestock extension specialists uh, with our department and uh, there are now six of us on board to cover the province. So we're pretty excited that we have ha- added some some new staff um, this past month. Um, so part of our role is we deliver extension and regional programs and projects related to you know productivity, profitability and sustainability for livestock producers. And so part of that work is providing management advice to producers and with that, a lot of my time is spent uh, working with producers on their winter feeding programs. I guess you would say that's my interest or that's my passion. I feel that's something that we can work with producers that would you know, affect their bottom line as we see winter feed costs make up such a large portion um, of their costs directly with the cost of production. And this past year, it really kept myself and our colleagues busy with the drier conditions. As you realize, we saw some feed shortages and producers were exploring other options to, you know, retain their beef herd and uh, make sure they had what they needed to get them through the winter.
1: So do each of you have an area that you kind of specialize in? Because I know when I talk to Pam, she seems very interested in the grazing side, mm-hmm. and you are more interested in the winter feed side. So, do you kind of take questions from everybody, but you answer more of the ones that you're most interested in, or you have more background in?
2: I guess it can work both ways, Chantel. So now we're kind of spread out geographically across the province. But but you're right; we work with producers from all across the province. So you know. At one time, it was more regional focus, and now it's we're kind of here for everybody. But that being said, yes, we've kind of found what areas we like to work in, and we've kind of become more specialized in that area. So, you know, in some cases, if it's more in-depth information we're looking for, um, you're right, we'll reach out. You know, Pam does work with grazing, and Sean has kind of done lots of research and projects with extended grazing, and I, I like to work in, in nutrition. So it's it's kind of a bit of both, which works really well. That's perfect.
1: And I'm so glad to hear that they've brought on a couple more people, because I know when I talked to Pam, you guys were pretty short handed.
2: Yes, right. And so it'll be it'll be great to have them on board. And some are new to the group, and some have kind of been around before. So it'll be interesting to see what areas of specialization they want to pursue. And so it's great that we have that flexibility to find what we enjoy working with and kind of build on those skill sets.
1: Nice. What are some of the typical roles you play when it comes to assisting Manitoba producers with decisions on their rations and their feeding programs?
2: Yeah, so there's many different roles um, that we can take when it comes to working with producers. And I guess it depends on um, what the producer is after or the questions that they're asking us, but it can definitely range. So sometimes it's just interpreting their feed test, for example send their sample away to the lab they get these numbers back and then they're trying to figure out what do they mean or what do they tell me is this good feed will this work for my operation is it high quality that I can sell so that's part of it is is understanding the feed tests so taking that one step further what does my animal need and then looking at formulating rations with them guiding them and we have some you know producers that are Pretty savvy and very knowledgeable, and and they've been balancing their own rations too. So that's great, and that's kind of where I'd I'd hope to do more work in the future if we can have some access to um, our ration balancing software. Is right now it's kind of uh, out of print or out of publication. So we're hoping to have some workshops in the future when we can work with producers and balance their own. And the beauty of that is you're kind of you know you're teaching them, and so that they can make the changes on the fly or as they go as opposed to reaching out to us. And, you know, they can change things daily. With that ability too, is they can actually send us files to review. And we can open them up. And we can, you know, just, just double check that they're they're on the right track. So that that's really cool. Another role that we play too, is helping them look at purchasing decisions. And lots of times, I know my phone was pretty steady last fall with, you know, just for an example, I can't remember the exact dollars or the specifics, but you know, am I better to buy barley at $7 a bushel versus oat $6 a bushel, you know, so kind of doing some math and working back. And we have a really great tool that the farm management team has put together where we can compare, you know, apples to apples, and it does the math for us, you know, breaks down the cost per pound of TDN. So, you know, for example, you know, barley is higher energy. So, you know, is it worth paying a little bit more because I get more out of it where the oats is lower in energy? So that's a really great tool that we can help producers decide which is the better buy on their farm.
1: And is that tool available online for producers to use? Or is that something that after they reach out to you, you can plug those numbers Mm -hmm. in and you do it on your end?
2: Yes. So it is available on the farm management website, and I would have to double check Chantal, but I'm pretty sure It is also one of the ones that they've been working with MASC. And I think it's even an HTML file or it's an online calculator that you can just access even with your smartphone. They've been really working at trying to get uh, some of those. A lot of them are Excel-based spreadsheets. So if you don't have Excel on your computer, trying to put it more of a a mobile-friendly format. And so I believe that is one of the programs that they have been able to do.
1: Interesting. I'll try and find the link for that. And okay, like yeah, to sure. To the show notes. Great idea. What are your goals in regards to winter feeding rations for animals?
2: Yes. Yeah, so when we talk about winter feeding rations for animals, we obviously want to meet the animals requirements um, with our balanced rations. And uh, lots of times we look at, um, you know, do you have enough of the right quality feed? So we want to look at, you know, a lot of major nutrients, um, you know, protein, energy, part of the goal is providing this balanced ration is to ensure we have healthy, productive animals. And we look at the cow-calf operation. You know, there's a lot that's going on. They have to produce a calf, provide milk for the calf, and then we want a quick return to estrus so that they can get bred pretty quickly. So there's a lot going on. And so we need to be on a rising plane of nutrition. And In fact, uh, one of our former staffs, Wayne Tomlinson, a really great extension veterinarian, to get their presentations about it's surprising how many of the health um, detriments or what we see in, in beef production, such a large percentage of them comes back down to nutrition concerns. And if we're not providing enough of the right things that it can really affect the health of our herd. And also in the goals of the winter feeding rations, we want to look at the feed costs. As I've mentioned, it's such a large percentage of the cost of production. So anything we can do to keep that in checker and keep that in line will provide more profitability for the producer. And feed costs are something that we can do something about. So it's definitely worth the having a balanced ration.
1: Do you have an approximate percentage, say, of what the annual feed cost would be of what is ate up by winter feeding?
2: One time, Chantal, I think they said it was around 50 to 60% of the cost of production. And I meant to look that up. And maybe after we're done, I can maybe look that up and just double check that based on the cost of production. I imagine if you look at last year, that number was probably a lot higher, right? But I would like to double check that if that's all right.
1: Yeah, for sure. I would imagine just it would depend a lot on the year, right? Whether feeds available, people got hay up or last year, like you said, they're just wasn't that feed available so people were trucking it i think from kind of wherever they could find it just to get it back that's right do you work on rations for other animals besides cattle
2: myself i don't Chantel, but we do have other staff that do have access to i believe it's called sheep bites so there are staff that do sheep and lamb rations and we have some dairy uh, dairy specialists too that also would work with
1: dairy animals what would you say is the most common mistake or oversight that you see in planning winter rations?
2: This is an interesting question. And as I'm sitting here thinking, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is not planning ahead or not planning it enough in advance. Many times we get the calls that I'm sure to feed in March or I'm going to run out and they're already lactating. So you're kind of running out of options or it's how many pounds of straw can I feed to my cow once she's calved? So it gets really tough to incorporate that low quality feed at that point in the ration. As we know, the second month of milking is kind of their, an animal's peak nutrient requirement. So it's pretty hard to stretch things or to look at different feed stuffs. So that would kind of be my number one or the most common, I guess. So plan early, take some inventory ahead of time. I also wanted to mention a few other things that you know come to mind and I think one of the other important things is lots of times we find the focus is on protein and so the calls will come in and you know I've got this feed test and it's 13% protein is that enough and typically nine times out of ten there there's enough protein in a ration especially if you got a, a legume like alfalfa and whether it's you know hay or silage Um, especially with a cow-calf operation, you know, they don't have as high protein requirements as feeders, so lots of time. What we do find is that energy will be your number one limiting nutrient in a ration, so oftentimes that gets overlooked, and so we try to have a discussion with producers and, and focus more on that. Um, Mineral and vitamin supplementation is also important and depending on the region and there's a lot of case by case circumstances but for example, if you have high sulfates in your water that can tie up copper, if you're feeding a canola based forage or something you might have um, high sulfur as well so that can further lead to issues. I also wanted to mention that water can sometimes be overlooked. And you know, that is actually the nutrient that you need in the most amount, or it is the most important nutrient. And so lots of times it doesn't get the attention it deserves or needs. And so we recommend, you know, you should get a water analysis done every now and then on your operation, because it can affect your your nutrition and, and your ration and also to pay attention, I think more comes into play and we look at some extended grazing and you know do they are they providing water or is it expected of the animal to lick snow which can work provided it's the right kind of snow that you know the fluffy stuff and and sufficient amounts and particularly more so in a dry cow than in a lactating cow. I also wanted to mention that when we're working with producers and we have a questionnaire or a sheet to kinda collect the information that we need to assist them in finding their rations or to lead that discussion and so you know, so a couple of things that we ask of them are what is your cow weight and what is your bale weight, right? And so if you've just sold some cull animals, you have a pretty good idea of the cow weight. But it, it's surprising how many twelve hundred pound cows there are and you know, sixteen, seventeen hundred pound bales are in the country. So we always kind of joke about, you know, maybe we need to add 100 pounds to the cow weight to make sure we have a good representation and, you know, maybe trim the bale weight down a little bit just to make sure we've got that safety cushion and that, in fact, we are estimating as closely as we can the amount of feed in in the feed yard
1: without running short. That's a great point, I think, in trying to estimate a little lower on what your bales are, a little higher on what your cows weigh, so that you aren't getting that surprise in March that is, oh no, we don't have enough feed.
2: Or, you know, if you've got access to a scale or can exactly. get that done, throw a couple bales on or take them on the truck or just to have an idea, right? And most people are pretty good. You know, they know they've set their baler at these settings and this is how much my bales consistently weigh. Well, that that's great too. And I guess estimating silage too can be a little tough depending on the moisture, and we do have some guidelines if they were to measure a silage pile as well to give you an idea of estimated yield.
1: When would you say would be the ideal time to plan your winter ration? Like, are we thinking September, October, by the middle of November, you should have a plan? Kind of what is your ballpark best time to do that? Right,
2: so I guess you kind of come down to when you're calving or when winter feeding should start, but the earlier the better. And so lots of times, once you have an idea of, what your production is or what is coming into the feed yard. So I guess any time is a good time, the earlier, the better, but lots of times it's hard to do until you get a, a, an accurate count of what you have coming in. Right. And so depending on the year, October, November, but definitely as soon as you can would be, would be recommended.
1: And that'll be variable too. in how dry the fall is right. And how early that winter feed needs to be started because we right. can get a surprise where this time of the year we're already feeding. Or we mm-hmm. might be able to graze right until the middle of October, the end of October, kind of depending on the snow in the year.
2: Yeah, that's right. And depending on your extended grazing plans too, right? And what options are available to you. But as soon as you can plan that it, it just gives you more time and more options. And if you need to source some, probably more readily available supplies out there.
1: How important is feed testing in preparing for feeding cattle in Manitoba over the winter months, kind of knowing what our winters can look like?
2: Right. Feed testing is very important. It's hard to balance rations and meet the requirements of your livestock if you don't know what you have to start with. And what we've seen is there can be so much variability with different feedstuffs and even from year to year with different growing conditions it's also a good chance to look at was the feed put up wet or was the hay baled at higher moisture do we need to be concerned with molds or microtoxins or nitrates so any kind of stress that can affect the plant you know a hail uh, a frost and then last year we'd seen some some drought induced nitrates. so that's a good chance to determine the level and then we can manage the feeds accordingly And taking your sample, it's, I guess, the results are only as good as the sample that you take. And so, you know, ensure representative sample, you know, at least 15 to 20 bales, um, get a core sampler. They're available at each of our 10 uh, service centers across the province. And feed testing is also important when we look at high moisture feeds like silage, particularly if it's the first time a producer has used silage. When you think about it, it's two thirds water. So, not knowing the correct moisture can affect your ration so much and that you may not actually be providing them enough dry matter intake so that uh, moisture content would be available in in your feed test Um, when testing silage you can also request a ph so that gives us an indication of how well the silage has fermented did it do what we wanted it to do is it going to be stable can we keep it over that kind of thing Another time that feed testing is so important is in a lot of these weird and wacky feeds, particularly last year with the conditions were so dry, you know, producers were very innovative and looking for all kinds of different feeds. And, you know, use so many alternative feeds. And as I'd mentioned, canola, for example, it can have extra sulfur. So we want to know what that level is before we're feeding it to animals to ensure that we aren't tying up copper.
1: You talked there a little bit about nitrates. I've heard my husband talk about nitrate poisoning in the fall, if producers are trying to stretch that grazing, what do they need to think about with nitrate poisoning? How does it happen? And what can they do to avoid it?
2: So right, Chanteller, nitrates can be a concern in any time a plant does a stress and typically we see it in, in annual crops. And there are a whole lot of factors that come into whether nitrates can be a concern and you know, it depends on how much nitrogen was applied on the land, was manure applied. Lots of times we see higher concerns or issues. For example, if it was a field intended for canola production, so really heavy for heavily fertilized. And then for some reason, that didn't happen and it was seeded to a different crop that maybe couldn't utilize it as much. So we've seen some concerns there. With nitrates, you know, when we look at frost, it all depends on the type of frost we get. If it's a light frost and it will just damage the the leaves and the cells within the plants. And if we don't have any future or further frost, the plant can repair itself. And so what it does, it then converts the nitrates into plant protein and we have no issues. And that process takes about 10 to 14 days. So where the danger lies is if we were to get a light frost and not enough time for the plant to repair itself. So either we cut it or we harvest it. Or we then get a killing frost that just shuts everything down. And then we can have nitrates that are trapped in there. So that being said, cattle can tolerate a certain level of nitrates. And their general rule of thumb is 0.5% on a dry matter basis. And so we'd recommend getting a feed test done. And, and the beauty of ruminants and the rumen microbes and the bugs in their stomach is that they can adapt to these feeds over about anywhere from seven to fourteen days. So dilute, 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 introduce them slowly to the, the nitrate feed. And then over at that period of adaptation, they can probably adapt to the higher levels. So we also say once they're on a nitrate feed, just to kind of keep them on. And sometimes producers get mixed up with that and dicumeral poisoning from sweet clover, where they say feed one day, take off the next day. So there's just a myth going around about that. And so if we pull them off the nitrate feed, that resets that balance in the room and the ruminant has to start that whole process again, right? And so that's when we can run into to issues. So there are things that you can do to manage nitrates, dilute it. And also with grazing, there's a, a higher rate of passage. So we find that they can tolerate higher levels of nitrates and we're not as concerned as say if it was a high nitrate level in
1: a dry Thank you. I just kind of threw that one at you. So <laughs> Well, it was good. I, I, could
2: talk, it. I could talk all day on it.
1: What does a balanced winter ration look like for a cow in Manitoba?
2: Right. So as we've kind of covered already, we want to meet the nutrient requirements. And so the major ones that we look at, you know, to start with our energy protein, and then we look at the vitamins and minerals. And we also want to provide enough dry matter intake. And just to kind of give you some rough rules off the top of my head, when we talk about, you know, a mid-gestation cow needs about 55% total digestible nutrients or energy And seven percent crude protein. Uh, Late gestation cow say about sixty percent TDN and nine percent protein. And then lactating cows be about sixty five percent TDN and eleven percent crude protein. And yeah, when we're designing our our ration for for the beef cow, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into consideration. As I'd mentioned, we want them on that rising plane of nutrition what kind of shape are they coming off grass you know what is their body condition score are they already at that three or three and a half that we're looking for do they need to gain do they need to lose a bit of condition are we concerned that you know they came off grass really well and is that an opportunity to stretch some feeds and let them slide a little bit and we also balance the ration you know it gives you an idea of inventory and kind of your feed amounts required and if you have enough and then it can also give you um a cost estimate, you know, and there again, these are the rations are just uh, we kind of say there's the ration that you can formulate, um, the ration that you feed, and then there's the ration that the cow eats. So it's not a just a cut and dry approach. It's it's kind of putting all the pieces together and paying attention to what's happening out there as well as opposed to you know what a computer program or you know a staff can generate for you.
1: And how does that differ for a younger animal such as a weanling or a yearling?
2: Right, so different animals and different and different stages of production have different nutrient requirements, and so that all comes into factor when we're balancing our ration. And just to kind of give you a, a general idea, I kind of looked up some of the requirements from uh, NRC and five hundred pound calf that we're looking for about two pounds per day of gain. So backgrounding would need about twelve point six percent crude protein, sixty three percent TDN. So you can see, you know, some higher protein and you know some higher energy compared to our dry cow mid gestation. And then if we look at the, you know, a yearling side or it's a finishing animal, for example, at 800 pounds, you know, looking for over that three pounds per day of gain of average daily gain, they require 80% TDN and 11.5% crude protein. So more of a hotter ration. That's definitely going to be more of a grain based than, than a forage based ration that we typically would would see with a cow young stock typically have higher nutrition requirements, but the cow is going to need more groceries, right? So when we look at a dry water intake of, you know, two and a half to 3% of the body weight, you're going to need to provide more feed to the cow. Um, but we look at the younger stock, and especially after weaning, we talk about having nutrient dense rations, because you know, there's a lot that a lot of stress that they went through, right? They, they lost their mom, they lost the milk They you know, we expect them to find the feed, we expect them to find the water. So lots of times, will increase the levels of vitamins and minerals just to make sure. So if they're only eating a little bit that they're getting kind of all that they need in, the, in that little bit of feed. And also when we're about getting animals started or on feed, like the younger ones, we talk about step up rations. And you know, it's a process We're typically with with a cow herd, you kind of we talk about a mid gestation, the late gestation, a lactation ration, whereas with younger stock, there's going to be more different rations in a and in a period and when we talk about making any changes with the ration, gradual changes, right? We don't want to upset the rumen and have them back off feed or you know, go down the hill or, or start um, losing our, our gains in our production. So that's also important.
1: What nutritional differences are there for cattle, say who calve in February or March and those who are spring calvers who are calving later in April or in May? So that's
2: a good question. That kind of covers off You know, I'd say I think the majority of Manitoba calves in that March period. But then we do have herds in the, you know, in the spring period as well. So obviously temperature can come into play here. And when we're balancing rations, we can we can play with the temperatures and it gives us an idea of how much extra feed that you will need. But one of our general rules of thumb is that with every 10 degrees below minus 20, the feed should be increased by 15 percent. Typically, we'll require more feed in those colder months. And uh, when we look at the two differences in calving seasons, and then we look at you know the peak requirements, though so there again, that second month of lactation, and um, when we look at April may calving that second that peak requirement will typically correspond to you know high quality grass or out on forage, right so whereas that February or March herd, that second month of milking is you know April, May, where the grass may not be ready, so that that could be a higher cost ration, but there again, it all depends on the operation. And, you know, it's definitely a a case by case basis and a personal decision. Um, But you definitely have to look at, you know, temperature and, and wind breaks, you know, or wind shelter, right? Wind can have such a huge impact on the temperatures and the increased need for extra feed.
1: I hadn't heard that rule of the every 10 degrees after below minus 20. But that's a really great thing to kind of keep in the back of your head knowing approximately what winters are like here as far as temperature goes.
2: That's right and that's something when we formulate rations we can adjust the temperature so it's kind of built in but you know if we were to provide you if you kind of had your base ration on minus 20 we look at average daily temperatures too right so realizing that the nights do get colder you know so lots of times when I'm working with producers they'll say well if it gets down to minus 30 they're getting an extra couple pounds of grain per day so Most have an idea or have a feel for that. It was just important to remember that and to have that available if you need it.
1: That's so interesting. We're going to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk more about some methods or products, alternative feed considerations, and that kind of thing for the second Mm -hmm. part of the podcast. So what are some innovative methods or products being used by producers in Manitoba? And I think this is probably timely, especially after the drought last year, where people did kind of have to search for some different ideas in order to stretch those feed sources.
2: That's right, Chantal. And so producers are really good at finding things that can work for them or what's available for them. And the beauty of it is there's many different ways to feed ruminants or to feed cows, Last year was a good example of so many different things being tried. And even before that, you know, we have people that are using cull potatoes, greenhouse scraps, garden waste, you know, vegetable scraps, and lots of salvage crops. You know, even it doesn't seem like rocket science or so weird and wacky, but, you know, how many corn crops didn't make grain, but they were used for silage. You know, extending the grazing season, it has probably been, you know, the more common thing or the push lately you would talk about bale grazing swath grazing and then you know there are producers that are even grazing the faces of silage piles you know so they're still putting up a silage but not necessarily starting a tractor every day and hauling it out and then as we extend the grazing season right where the animals are not confined in pens and we have you know
1: less manure handling costs what about something like say chaff grazing are there pros and cons maybe to something like that, where you're using that the aftermath kind of of a crop in that way?
2: Yes, yeah, so there's definitely options there. And I guess it, it definitely have to ensure that the nutrient requirements are being met, depending on the crop. And that's lots of times that, you know, for it's a cereal that we could be short of calcium. So are they getting a two to one or three to one mineral to ensure we're meeting those requirements, it may require some supplementation, you know, so maybe you take out a a second cut of hay bale that has higher protein that will help them utilize that poor quality or low fiber feed. But you're right, there's lots of options. And I I guess, yeah, nitrates can be a concern as well as we've already discussed. But I think it's just know what's in that feed. And you know, don't hesitate to reach out to one of our staff. If you don't have a feed test available, we can definitely look up just to give you a general idea, although we recommend getting it tested your own, but you know, sometimes if it's just a couple weeks feeding, you don't necessarily maybe have the time to, to get an accurate analysis of that field or that chaff pile, but we can definitely work with you on that.
1: And what are some alternative feed considerations that you suggest to producers, or is there like one, like if you're going to try and reduce your winter feed costs, here's one really great way to do this kind of that you have as a pointer.
2: And so I guess first and foremost, I'd probably start off with, with incorporating straw in, in your ration, particularly if it's a, a later calving season and if we're planning early and starting it, right? You can blend in a fair amount of, of straw with a higher quality, feed, like if you have a silage based ration or even a really good alfalfa grass. Hey, and so a rule of thumb for straw is we say, you know, one and a quarter percent of the body weight of a cow. So just for easy math, a thousand pound cow would be, you know, 12 and a half pounds of straw that we could incorporate in the ration. So that would probably be the number one place I would would start. And most of the time, straw is probably your cheaper source. And it's, you know, readily available for the most part, realizing there are some areas in Manitoba where that can be harder to find and harder to come by. So that's kind of where I'd like to start. Because, you know, lots of times we have sufficient nutrients in the ration, like the high quality feed, You know, with a silage or really good hay or weed, we have more than enough energy, more than enough protein. But what we're lacking is like the filler or the dry matter intake. And so straw can fill that void. But it takes some management. And if you've never done it before and you don't mix it in a TMR or, you know, to eat free choice, kind of have to train the cow, maybe train the cowboy, right? They're probably not going to be happy and they might ball at you and look at you and stand at the gate and wait for some better feed. But uh, they can feed it and utilize it. And that being said, there are ways to improve the palatability. You know, some people like to use molasses, which may not be the most economic way, but you know, it's like pouring candy on, on the bales. It can improve intake and it will increase quality a little bit as well, but maybe not the most economical route, but a lot of producers do do like to use that. Some also will ammoniate straw. And I know we've had some different workshops and we've got some results on the improvement in feed quality of that as well. There's lots of other options for alternative feeds, canola, um, lots of people did bulrushes and cattails, you no know, poor quality, but you get them feed tested and can mix them in corn stover, lots of producers put up kochia last year, but you kind of have to, it, it can have some anti-nutritive effects too, that we need to look at like oxalates. Just a couple of cautions or, you know, some people are, you know, stay away from from the poor straws, like flax, as most people know, you know, it's poor nutrient value. Soybean straw as well isn't the best feed quality. And just a word of caution, if we are looking at feeding a lot of straw, we have to ensure it's a balanced ration. And lots of times, a straw grain ration can be the most economical way to to feed a cow at the right stage. But we need to ensure that there's enough grain or enough energy and enough protein. Um, Because in those really cold snaps, it can cause impaction and you know can cause death in the animals if it's not fed properly and also word of advice you know do your homework ask us or inquire ask the right questions and sometimes a cheap feed is worth staying away from we've seen some grass seed screenings with endophytes grain screenings can have ergot in them which can cause issues as well so just make sure you're working with a reputable company and, and inquiring about things like Is there an ergot analysis done or has it been tested for endophytes
1: and those kinds of things? Can you tell me more about the process to ammoniate straw?
2: Sean, one of my fellow livestock specialists, they have done some workshops in the past and so he's more familiar with it. But basically it's tarping straw and putting large pipes into them and putting ammonia in them. So they're under tarp and under cover. You have to have a good seal you know a lot of safety precautions come into it but it it can raise the protein in, and the energy on on straw it has to be i can't remember the moisture percentage but it has to be like tougher more damp straw it won't work very well on, on super dry straw so that's just a caution that that needs to come into the consideration too That's
1: interesting. I've never <laughs> never heard of that before. Oh,
2: okay, okay. That could be another topic. Sean would be the one to talk to you, so
1: and we are going to be talking to Sean later on in this winter feeding series about um, the extended grazing project that he did at mbfi so maybe i'll throw that question yeah no he would be the one
2: to uh, yeah like i barely touched on it and i hope i got the right information and details but yeah he's done a lot of work with it
1: that's good to know yeah maybe add that into my my Mm -hmm. list of questions for him what are some cost-effective strategies to increase the performance of the winter ration Thanks, Chantel. Yeah, so there's
2: many different things to look at here. And I guess the number one thing is as we've kind of the theme of this podcast is, you know, a balanced ration. So make sure we're not over or underfeeding our herd. Something else we recommend is to sort the herd into different groups. So cows that are in good body condition score, they can have a different ration than another group of animals, which could be your thin or your older cows, or your first calf heifers that require some extra groceries or, you know, higher nutrient-dense ration. I also recommend practice good bunk management, you know, matching the feed that's delivered to what the animal eats. So monitoring consumption, and this, I guess, is more important in, you know, calves or yearlings uh, rations. Processing forages, chopping them can increase the digestibility, which in turn can improve feed efficiency. A common question we also get is, you know, does it pay to process my grain? So depending on the grain, you know, barley or oats or corn, on, and also on the efficiency. So what is the benefit of processing grain? How much extra efficiency are you going to get? Does it pay to, for example, roll oats compared to barley? And it depends. Um, every grain has a different level of efficiency that's improved as well as the, what is the cost of processing? and What is the cost of the grain? So. And years where grain is worth more money than it pays to process it and when it's cheaper then it may not pay to process it depending on on the type of grain and what that efficiency is something else to consider are things like ionophores and growth implants in in the younger animals
1: if there's listeners after listening to all of the considerations and all of the comments that you've had so far who are wanting assistance with planning their winter ration where can they contact you or who should they be contacting in order to find out more and get some of that help with their planning?
2: In terms of working with us, like I said, I'm one of the six of us across the province with our department that can assist producers with this. You can contact your local service center or our 1-800 number at 1-844-769-6224. Producers can also work with their local feed retailer. They're, you know, different nutritionists across Manitoba. And there's, you know, also private consultants as well that offer this as a service to producers.
1: Thank you. And before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share or reminders that you'd like to give producers as they're starting to plan for that winter feeding season?
2: Yeah, I would just take this opportunity to kind of just review or recap, you know, more of the important things. Plan early. The earlier, the better. You know, take that inventory, do your feed tests. And then I guess something else I should mention that I haven't yet is, you know, look at your herd and call accordingly. Are there animals that we don't need to feed that aren't productive? Open cows, ones that don't fit into your herd, ones with bad temperament, those kinds of things. Particularly now where call prices are are decent, this is a good time to only feed and pay for the feed of those that are gonna add to
1: your herd and increase production. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. There's a ton of information and hopefully listeners can pick out pieces. And if they have more questions, then they can reach out to people to find out a little bit more. Cause I feel like like it's such a huge topic and we've really just scratched the surface in a lot of those spots. I really appreciate you taking your time today to be on the podcast with me.
2: Thanks for having me, Chantal. and yes, as you said, that you know the sky is the limit, and I hope this is a good introduction, and we'd be willing to speak with anyone who was looking for more information.
1: The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba beef producers. Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode
1: of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project
0: supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate,
1: review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got
0: lots to share.